business leader or entrepreneur who is ready to achieve more and build a business that impacts the world. But you shouldn't have to sacrifice what matters to you to turn that dream into a reality. Welcome to Permission to Lead, where we teach high-achieving female business owners and entrepreneurs like you how to achieve more, lead effectively, and flourish in both your business and personal life. I'm your host, Cindy Monroe. Each week, I'm revealing practical and actionable business and leadership strategies you can implement immediately, sharing interviews with some of the world's boldest female CEOs and business leaders, and giving you the tools you need to lead a thriving business while achieving goals you never thought possible. You deserve to have the business and family life you've always wanted. Permission to Lead will show you how. Have you ever reached a point where leadership feels a lot more exhausting than it does fun? Well, I've been there. With sales declining and my frustration at myself and the business growing, I knew I needed help. And that's when I met my coach and guest on today's podcast, Craig Wiley. Craig helped me get unstuck and focus on what I knew to be true about the business, our consultants, customers, and myself. When Craig first started coaching me, I remember telling him, I want to stop being a hot mess of a leader. Well, that changed dramatically once we started working together. Today, Craig reveals what to do if you feel like you've lost your inner coach and don't trust yourself anymore. Plus, the surprising difference between a leader that reacts and a leader that responds. Then Craig gives us a little rapid-fire coaching well, maybe not so rapid fire, but we tried to make it rapid fire coaching session on five specific areas high achieving female leaders struggle with. If you're feeling burnout from growing your business or struggling to trust yourself, this is the episode for you. All right. Well, Craig, welcome to the show. Before we jump in, I have to give our listeners a little bit of a background on how we know each other and how we started working together, if that's okay. But welcome. Hey, I'm so glad to be here, Cindy. This is going to be an awesome conversation. I'm so excited. So, okay. I first met you whenever I was having one of those I am a hot mess, leader, mom, wife, everything. I was on a YPO, which is a peer group of, for CEOs, um, and we were on a retreat forum, and you were hired to come in, and I was literally showing up such a hot mess on, I felt like every <laughs> extreme of uh, my life. And so that is how you first met me, and then you wanted to like continue like getting to know me. So like here we are so many years later, after that hot mess moment, I don't even know how I was able to score you being a friend and a coach and a mentor to me, but um, especially after the first moment. But thank you for that. But I don't know your version of the story on how we met, but that's you know, my version. <laughs> my, sto- my story might be a little bit different, right? Since, since I get to go around and work with executives for a living, but you're right. We were at a CEO retreat in Nashville. Um, And what leaders don't typically see behind closed doors is that every CEO at certain points is a hot mess. Uh, So it's not just me. It's not just (laughs) you. And and leadership can look flawless on the outside. But what we know behind closed doors is that leaders are constantly struggling and thinking about the needs of the business, 
the needs of their people, their family, and how they try and balance all those things together. So what I saw was someone who was purpose first, uh, super passionate about what she had done. And then I remember the moment when I put together that you were the creator of one of my favorite products that I use every single day in my boat. And so from that moment, I was yours as far as like thinking about how that business thrives because I just love what you've built. So it was all about the boat tote, right? The boat tote. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I have so much that I want to talk to you about. So I have no idea if this is just going to be a long segment or two segments (laughs) or what, but let's get started. So when we did start working together because I immediately after that weekend emailed you and I was like, okay, Craig, I loved everything that you represented, how you showed up, how you listened, and you were really pulling things out of me in that weekend just for me to think through things differently. So I followed up with you to see if you'd be willing to, you know, coach with me because I wasn't feeling confident in my ability to lead. And I felt like I was getting so distracted with everything that was happening in the business and I couldn't stay focused, which has always been a problem for me, but it was really starting to be a problem because I was getting distracted from the things that I needed to be doing as a CEO. And I felt like I was playing in all these other areas. And so it also made it really hard for me to trust my gut and to make wise decisions because I was so swirling in distractions. And so you really helped me kind of find that inner coach again and to trust myself again. So how common is that for leaders to lose that connection with their gut or that inner coach? And how do you help someone, you know, that has lost that, um, that confidence in themselves as a leader, maybe? Yeah, it's, it's super common, right? I mean, every, like we were sharing, every leader has strength, strong moments, and then they also have weak moments. And there is such a thing as like strengthening your gut, uh, believe it or not. And it's this notion of like, how do we create the best environment for us to be able to trust our gut? And one of the things we know is that leaders who have a very clear vision around where they're trying to go, Mm-hmm. And they have people aligned around that vision that are willing to execute because they own it as well. That leader has the emotional capacity and the tactical capacity to really be in the space where they thrive. And so a lot of times where we struggle using our gut is when we feel like like we're the center of everything and we have to have answers to everything. Uh, and we're really trying to create the momentum in all these areas when in reality, we're surrounded by complete teams. And so part of trusting our gut is making sure that we're aligned with the people that are around us. Uh, so then we can spend time in the space where our gut just is natural. Um, and so that's, that's a way we, we think about strengthening someone's gut is like, how do we get them in their sweet spot? But also, how do we make sure that they are not... Uh, working within an environment where they're responsible for all the performance of everything. And, and that's a hard thing for some leaders. Um, But the reality is, is like great leadership is, is really about leading a community. Yeah. 
Well, it's so funny because as I'm hearing us use this term gut, like it's become such a popular topic to have like a healthy gut, you know, and it's more about <laughs> the like, gut biome. <laughs> right. And I mean, I feel like that we were one of the first ones to be talking about like a healthy gut because I made a lot of decisions um, from my gut, from my intuition, my instincts and things like that. And what's interesting is I feel like that whenever you are leading well with your intuitions and you're feeling confident, like that actually has an impact on how your gut is actually processing all your foods and everything else. Cause I feel like that stress attacks it and not only internally your gut, but also like it impacts your confidence and trusting your gut. And so it's so interesting. I really haven't even thought about it before right now, like the connection between those two. And you see all these supplements or, you know, diets and things like that helping (laughs) their gut. But I'm like, you know what? No, this is like your emotional, your leadership gut. This is something that can help you like in your business and help you to be a stronger leader. Well, and think it's so funny we're having this conversation because I was just reading some research around around the biome, right, of your gut and it's like linked to depression and other things along those lines. And so what we're really talking about is like, what's your leadership diet that allows you to have a really healthy gut? Because think about it. We all eat things that probably aren't good for us all the time and, and we feel it. And I think there in our leadership diet, as far as like how we manage our cadence and our rhythm and what we're doing in our business can create a super healthy gut or not so healthy gut when we're talking about our instincts and being able to leverage that. And so when we think about the right diet, we, we want a leader spending time thinking on the horizon Mm -hmm. uh, and having a really clear vision of the horizon So then they don't have to think and consume that all the time of like, is this the right decision that I'm making right now? And what's the impact of that? And how is this going to go down? If they have a vision, they can use their gut in the moment to make decisions that get them towards that vision. But if you don't, you're just consuming everything, not knowing what's good or what's bad. And so when we think about really strengthening the gut, we want a healthy diet of leaders having a vision for their business their own leadership and their family and what they're trying to achieve in those verticals, right? Um, But we also want them having clear processes and accountability uh, metrics around them for like the real-time business. So if those things are taken care of, then leaders can sit in their intuition because their house is in order. Um, But if those things aren't balanced out, it's, it's really hard to get the right leadership diet. I think there's something to that. We should like write a book on it or something. I don't know. But anyways, I'm going to go <laughs> on. Your, that's to my... your job, Cindy. That's your job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go on to um, another question here. Like at 31, we had kind of reached a point where our home office team and our employees and even our sales leaders were just exhausted because we probably didn't have that healthy gut or that healthy leadership mindset. And I think that whenever you start to struggle and you feel exhausted, you begin to disengage a little bit. And I think that, you know, it's really hard um, to, you know, 
get reengaged and to get focused again. And so we had actually had you come in to help us to re-envision how that we could collaborate together, work together to get refocused on that vision. And so I know that you've helped many other teams to do that. And how, I mean, I don't know, has, I'm assuming that's changed even with everybody not being back in their offices together or how are you approaching that? Because there has to be so many teams that still can find themselves in that moment of exhaustion and struggling to engage. Yeah, it's a very dynamic workspace right now, right, with hybrid work environments. And and then, you know, we work with leaders where some believe everybody should be in the office collaborating all the time. And then we have some leaders who are embracing kind of what the hybrid work environment looks like for the future. And they believe that's where they want to go. All of those have different ways of generating collaboration. But I think there's, there's a bigger question around what are we collaborating around? And so regardless of the environment, what we know is that um, the leader's primary job is to remove ambiguity, ambiguity around the direction, ambiguity around what the goals and the objectives are, and how people's roles lead to those outcomes. And so a lot of collaboration should be structured around those three things. Uh, So what we're seeing and what we're recommending for hybrid work environments where people aren't together is leaders bringing their teams together every three or four months into like a large scale collaboration session around the future of the organization, doing a debrief around their performance, their collaboration practices, their accountability practices, where they strong, where they need to strengthen those pieces. So we're really working on the dynamics of performance in our collaboration So then when people go back out, they can perform. And so we're starting to see collaboration having to shift from just collaboration around the day-to-day task to collaboration around like how healthy are we as a high-performing team? And then how do we need to put things in place to where we can be the most elite team possible? So we're really pushing these deeper dive dynamic collaboration sessions around the things that matter most to the organization long term. Yeah. It's so interesting because, I mean, I don't think I understood the value of collaboration until you really came in and kind of helped us learn how to do it well and and to be effective at it. And, um, you know, there's even some leaders out there that still don't understand the, the value of it. But, I mean, from your perspective, like what impact does collaboration have on revenue and growth in a business? Well, I mean, simply put, I think collaboration is the catalyst for revenue and growth. I don't think revenue and growth happen at their full capacity without a really intentional leadership deep dive on the cadence and the structures of how the business collaborates. So for instance, um, you know, the leader you're describing where they might have a limited view of collaboration, they think of execution within verticals. Yep. And they're like, yeah, silos. Right. Right. And, and there, there is an efficiency to executing within your, within your vertical, within the business or your silo within the business to like drive that outcome. But what we know is that that could be like vertical collaboration. 
where collaboration becomes exponentially more powerful and where leaders really struggle, most executives struggle because they don't teach you this in business school, right. is how do I create enterprise level teams to come out of those verticals and really work on the enterprise challenges to where I'm getting enterprise expertise from all these different areas of the business to uncover new innovation, new opportunities, mm -hmm. um, new product insights, uh, new insights into how our, what our customer experience is like yeah. and how we can improve those things. And that, that, that integrated collaboration is kind of where transformation is found. And that's really where businesses begin to lead their industry and outperform their industry. Uh, but also that's where businesses become sustainable and scalable. Um, without that, you're gonna have pockets of great performance. Some of those pockets of great performance are gonna generate awesome outcomes for the organization, but you'll never produce at like full capability. So think of like, you know, six cylinders and a V8 engine running well, um, you know, pulling everybody out to really look at this enterprise level collaboration and solve larger challenges as a unit, as an enterprise team is, is what makes all eight cylinders run in unison. Hmm. Yeah. Just need that humming, need that flywheel going. And if everybody's collaborating around that one flywheel or around that vision and everybody kind of is working together, it, definitely create, it can create the momentum that you've been lacking or to, to re-energize that, um, that growth in your business. And, you know, we were able to stabilize the business after a time of decline, whenever our team really started collaborating together and getting aligned. And whenever you start to get aligned on those really important things, then the less important things kind of get deprioritized as well. And I think that's also how you can scale, um, so that you're all running together. So this is so good. Yeah, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just share one last thing on that yeah. because you, you triggered something for me. Um, you know, that collaboration that you talked about, that is the place where people can find community hmm. to bring up the challenges that they're facing where when they're in their vertical and isolation, they might not necessarily have a peer to actually share that stuff with. So think about pulling executives out of their verticals and bringing them together the power of that community and what you build through a highly constructed collaboration process is like the resilience and the uh, lubricant for the business to perform. And because it's a, you're creating an executive community. And so when you think about collaboration as naturally creating pockets of communities that can tackle things that they can't tackle on their own, you're starting to get into the human performance of business, which is that, you know, we, we want to mirror the psychological and the tactical elements of business performance. And when you give people community, they can do things that they wouldn't necessarily strive for. So when you think about like new business owners, new leaders that are at the pinnacle of their, of their business, they might not necessarily have a community within their business because they are the CEO, they are the owner. Mm -hmm. They might have an executive team they lead or things along those lines. And so it's their job to create community within the executive group. But I think it's also super important when we think about collaboration, we always think about it in our organization as leaders and owners and CEOs of companies, we have to find our community 
to where we can collaborate with other people that are in the same roles as ourselves so we can discover new things so then we can bring that into our organization so there's internal collaboration that i think like your target audience for this podcast these empowered women owners of businesses uh, they have to be thinking about their community outside their business as well okay so i have to dig a little further on this because when you said community the thing that i think businesses are struggling with maybe the most right now is trust and belief. And when you have community, when you create that community, you can build trust and belief. And if there's trust and belief, then you've got people that'll work harder. They will be more innovative. They will come to the table with vulnerabilities that they don't have the answer because they trust that they're not going to get slammed for it, but that they're going to be able to collaborate on what's the solution. And so just there's, I mean, that trust and belief comes out of that community and that can make a difference in an executive team, a sales team, a sales field, your consumers. Do your consumers trust you as a company? If they don't trust you, then they're going to buy one product and Mm -hmm. be gone. But if you want those loyal consumers, if you want those loyal team members, that trust and belief is so critical. Well, 100%. And I think like you talk about from the consumer standpoint, look at how many great products uh, become what they are because of the community that those products create, right? So you can hop on a Peloton and you could ride with your Peloton community or whatever it may be. Um, and so I think there, it's a really important piece that you're talking about, Cindy, because through that community lens, um, people take different risks. Uh, and so if businesses can take different risks and they can do it in a unified way, um, community doesn't fear failure as much as an individual feels fears failure. Uh, you can start to achieve new things. And, you know, one of the, the reasons we talk about community so much is because our one of our vision statements at Transcend is to restore community as the cornerstone of business. Hmm. Because we know if our executives, our CEOs can create a community, an entrepreneurial community, a leadership community within their organization, they will outperform other organizations because unfortunately, for some reason, at some point, business felt like individual performance and vertical performance was more important than the collective performance. And uh, we just we just don't see it that way. Wow. That's a whole nother topic. But back on the <laughs> trust and belief. And I, I mean, I think there's so much to that topic, but I'm going to shift a little bit back to... Um, one of the things that you really helped me with as a leader. And I think that this helped um, me build some trust with my team was you helped challenge me to ask more questions rather than being a directive leader and saying, I mean, because I was so close to the business. Whenever you're the entrepreneur, you know it inside and out and you just bam, bam, bam. You just feel like you've got all the answers. And especially whenever it's been growing, like ours was growing. And then, you know, I was so quick to kind of give advice to my team members and you know, I, whenever I learned to start asking more questions, not only did it help my relationships with my team, but it helped my marriage. It helped parent my kids' relationships with me, you know? And so it, I think that, I mean, would you say that that's something else that other leaders struggle with is just being quick to solve the problems versus asking questions and helping bring their team members along? 
Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And I, and I think there's some dynamics that create that, right? And so as a leader, you want to be mindful of the dynamics. So when we get into answering behaviors, like what's going on under the current um, that is actually creating that. So like you, you might be constantly giving advice around certain tactics within the business. What that should be telling you is that there's probably another level of clarity that's needed around the business strategy or the business direction or what's most important. Like you already talked about that. When people understand what's most important, they let other things go. But if the leader hasn't built the platform that they lead from through that strategy, through the clarity around what matters most and things along those lines, you will find instead of strategy being at the center of the business, you will be at the center of the business. And so everybody comes to you, right? Um, So that's one dynamic. The other dynamic is people love for leaders to have the answer um, Hmm. because it just allows them to execute. Uh, The caveat to that is that leaders also love having the answer because they want to be helpful. (laughs) And so you get a cycle that continues to go on and on and on when in reality, uh, the seeking to understand first as a leader is actually the most helpful proposition you can ever do for someone that's coming asking for something. So seek to understand because when you understand what they're actually struggling with at a deeper level, you can start to address the undercurrent. If you're just not asking questions and you're just doing the directive, you're on the surface. And so you'll continue to be on the surface. But if you can get into the undercurrent, through asking questions, then you can start to build really dynamic performance relationships. It's the same thing if my wife Erin comes and shares something with me, it's always a good idea for me to say, okay, so you shared that, like, what would you like me to do with that? How how do you want me to support you with that information? Versus doing what I would just naturally do, because what I would do is I would support Erin the way I wanna be supported. When in reality, I need to be supporting Erin the way she needs to be supported. But I can't do that unless I ask a question and try to seek to understand. And so leaders struggle when there's ambiguity in the system and noise in the system. uh, Being someone that that directs versus asking questions. And I think, um, you know, the leaders that excel at that understand that they're playing the long game. Mm -hmm. That I'm asking questions because I'm in the business of building great talent. Um, And I'm in the business of building an organization that's inspired by me, not dependent upon me. Um, So as a leader, you have to decide, do you actually thrive on the organization being dependent upon you? Mm. What's the outcome of that? Right. Do you want to be a leader who has an organization that's inspired inspired by you, but not dependent upon you? What's the impact of that? And, And which one do you want to be? And so if you want to be the latter, like get really good at asking great questions. Well, when you ask the question, it empowers them. It it almost is a form of recognition that you believe that they almost have the answer. They they've got something in them. They just need a guide to help them, you know, find it out or to, you know, just to listen sometimes. I know, you know, I've told Scott Monroe so many times, like, okay, babe, I just needed you to listen. I don't need you to fix it. (laughs) I just needed to whine about it for a minute. And I've probably told you, (laughs) like, I just need five minutes to whine about this and then I'm ready to move 
move on. And I'm sure you had, you know, advice and I'm sure Scott always has his thoughts and advice and it's so hard to not share those things. But I do think that you, you know, just asking like, how can I support you on this or asking other questions to, you know, tap into that undercurrent is so great. Well, and you, you shared something that's completely related. You were talking about the power of trust and belief in business. Mm -hmm. So when you ask questions and then you empower someone, you are modeling that you have trust and belief in them, right? Or you say like, I'm not sure, but why don't you go talk to five or six other people and come back with the one or two options that you think are best? Um, Even if you have a thought, like reserve that thought, have them go find and discover that. And, and that's when you begin to model that trust and belief, uh, which you illustrated as being so important to a, a thriving community and a thriving business. Yeah. It's so hard. You just want it. To, it just wants to jump out of your mouth though. Oh yeah. All right. We want speed, right? We want speed. But remember the best leaders. I'm, not, I'm not, on, I'm not big on speed at all. Oh. Talking about? <laughs> the trains left the station. Let's roll. <laughs> I know you have big dreams or goals that you're ready to take action on, but maybe you're feeling held back by fear, and maybe you're ready to finally get clear on your goals and take big steps forward to achieving them. You deserve the tools to finally feel motivated and empowered to achieve success, and you cannot let fear keep holding you back. that's exactly why I wrote my new book, More Than a Bag. And I have a special gift just for you. You can download the first five chapters of More Than a Bag absolutely free. Just go to morethanabag.com and click the banner at the top of the website. That's morethanabag.com. Inside, I'm revealing 31 principles that will guide you to your path of achieving more so that you can live the confident and fearless life you've always wanted. I'm breaking down how to clarify what success means to you and achieve more than you ever thought possible while finding the meaning and purpose you've been searching for. More Than a Bag is inspiring talented entrepreneurs all over the world to take action on their next big goal, and it can do the same for you. Get the first five chapters for free right now at morethanabag.com. That's morethanabag.com. And now back to the show. All right. So something else that I've been kind of talking with some other female leaders and I'm really trying to, I've tried to embrace is just this idea of feeling incompetent or, you know, I have struggled in this area because I'm like, I am not a writer. I am not a trainer, you know, or you just feel like not equipped or ignorant or just whatever it is. Like even whenever I get into a social circle of really important people that watch the news, I'm not all up on today's news and politics. And so like there's just different times in leadership, you know, roles and communities and things like that, that you just do not feel equipped. And I think that, you know, sometimes it feels like that as leaders, we're supposed to know everything and we're supposed to be everything to everybody and be able to, you know, participate in any social circle. So, you know, how can, I mean, why is that so important? And then how do we shift to be more in a position of learning versus being expected to know it all? 
Yeah, I mean, that's it's an amazing question, Cindy, because I think this this piece of modeling learning is almost more powerful than coming from the place of knowing hmm. uh, in the long run. But to protect ourselves, to protect our image, to protect what we think the business needs, we come from this place of knowing instead of learning. Um, there are a hundred things I'm not, but I know the three things I am. And the more that I can talk about that and say like, that's not me, that's this amazing person that sits next to me. That's not me. That's this other person that sits next to me. The, the more I can really spend time in my sweet spot and resist the psychological urge to try and be everything to everybody. And I think as leaders evolve and they detach themselves from uh, expectation and they really attach themselves to like what they're great at and what they can deliver for the business, the more at peace they are and the more they surrender that and they can, be get, yeah. they can get into the learning mode. Yeah. But this piece of um, executives having to have the answers is, is a real challenge. Um, and it really comes from surrendering ego and surrounding yourself with people that are brighter and better at things than you are to where it's so obvious to you you stay in your swim lane. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's that's a powerful tool for people who are starting to grow their businesses is to recognize early what you are and what you aren't. So you can go find the right people to surround yourself with the capability and the capacity you need to scale the company. Yeah. Well, and as you were talking about that, it made me even think about as a mom, like I had to figure out the things that I was going to show up and not show up around that because I could not be there for craft day because I was working or I was not the homeroom mom. And I asked my kids, like, what was important? Did they want help? from me personally with their homework. I was not the most qualified, but if they wanted that quality time, I asked them that and they're like, no mom, that's what we have teachers for. So I kind of let go of that expectation. So yeah, I think that it can be at home and leadership. And so finding those three things, you know, it's, that's really good. So thank you. Well, and I think Cindy, just, just to dovetail on what you're saying, the more clarity we have around who we are and who we aren't, the mm -hmm. better we become because we can take all of our emotional energy and focus and put it into the things that we're great at. Right. If we're trying to spread it everywhere, like mm -hmm. even our strengths aren't generating results. And yeah. so that's the power of what you're talking about through the mom scenarios. Like if we know what we're great at, we can be amazing at it. Yeah. So good. All right. So let's do some rapid fire. Cause we're like going over time a little bit here, but I've got some other things that I feel like that, you know, women CEOs, entrepreneurs, you know, experience. And so let's start with this one, dreaming big or taking risk. I mean, what would you say to someone who isn't giving their business the credit that it deserves, or if they are scared to dream bigger? So they were willing to maybe start their business, but they're scared to take it to the next level. What would you say there? Yeah, I would say separate about thinking about yourself from thinking about the business. Right. And so often leaders, we emerge ourselves thinking that they're intertwined when in reality, the best advocate for a business is a CEO leader who can separate their own unconscious bias and potential of the business itself. 
And so the first thing is like, don't let your insecurities be the business insecurities. Hmm. Evaluate the business and the possibilities of the business and lead with that. Because as the owner, CEO, leader of that company, you're the only person that has that responsibility to champion the possibilities of the business. You can't do that when you're making it about yourself, right? That's so good. So that's the one thing I would say is like, you know, resist letting yourself doubt drive the outcome. I love that. Okay. Speak to the leader who is always doubting her decisions. How would you encourage her to determine those decision drivers for her business and family? Yeah, I think the, there's two things. Um, First is have decisions at different horizon points. So you have to understand where you want to be, let's say five years, three year, and within the year. So if you spend time two, three times a year going back to this document and understanding where you're headed in the long range, where your mid range is going to be and what you want to achieve this year, you make better decisions and they don't take as much energy because top of mind is the long range destination and what you're trying to achieve. So that's, that's the first thing. Okay. Okay. The second thing is like, understand that there's like three types of decisions. There's definitive decisions, which are ones you own and you just drive, right? There's informed decisions where you got to be collecting feedback. And then there's collective decisions. Uh, Really great leaders where, and collective decisions are where you make it as a group. There are times in your family where you need to make collective decisions. There are times in your business where you need to make collective decisions. When people start applying a definitive decision-making process, when it impacts a whole bunch of people, those decisions are not accepted very well. But I'll also say the leader has to have the courage to not use collective decision-making at every decision. They have to be able to step forward and say like, yes, I know that this impacts people, but this does need to be a definitive decision. So I'm just going to make it. But you should be thinking about what's the best decision-making process of those three right now. Should I be collecting feedback? Should I just be making this in isolation? Or should I be making this with a group of people? So know your horizon and know your decision-making process. So good. All right. So let's talk about failure. How do we keep it from getting in our heads and keep us from moving forward? Yes. Yeah. You know, I think um, it goes a little bit back to the same thing around failure around an organization or a business is always better in teams. So if you're making a lot of decisions and trying to drive the business in isolation, failure feels very different than if you're failing as a community. And so as a leader, we need to be thinking about the things that scare us the most around the decisions we're going to make that have great consequences. How do we use a different process to get a lot more insight and a lot more engagement from people to where we collectively own that decision. (laughs) And so then we begin to take a different approach and stretch and not let failure really overcome us. You know, I think that's easier said than done. I'm going to interrupt you on that one because as the CEO or as the leader, like I always wanted to, I felt like that the buck stopped here. Like, you know, as much as we had made a collective decision or not, like whenever it didn't move forward or it didn't drive revenue or it failed to launch, like I still carried that responsibility. So I think that's easier said than done. Now, the, now there's a difference. Yes, 100%. And there's a difference between the responsibility of failure 
and then owning failure to the point to where it stops you in your tracks, right? So as the CEO, we definitely own the responsibility for failure, but we know that the people that we have around us, and if we're making decisions, the most critical decisions as a team, at least we have a community to do that. And so we can come back and debrief it, process it, understand what led to the failure, and then move forward in a different way. I want to talk about one other leadership performance psychological piece here that exists. People always believe they have more control over the outcomes than they actually do. For sure. For sure. And so part of being a leader and having a, I'll go back to a healthy diet with failure, (laughs) is that you have to understand that there are factors that you influence and control that led to that failure. You should own those 100% and you should learn from those to like set yourself free, right? Then there's things you might've been able to influence, but you didn't control that led to the failure. That's different than the first one. Like we need to understand where the failure point occurred. If it occurred here, it's like, really, did I influence things the way I could have? Would I have done it different? Um, But you still can't control that. And then there are things you can't influence or control that lead to failure in business, right? So we we just went through one of the most dynamic environments in business history. Right. Uh, there are all sorts of things we couldn't influence or control. There were some things we could influence, and then there were some things we could influence and control. The CEO has to be wise enough, and the owner has to be wise enough to understand where those failure points lie and accept the right amount of responsibility on that continuum. Okay. That's a lot you just gave us. So I'm going to have to <laughs> it, re-listen it, to that it, one. Sorry. It's, it's like it's a whole day. Failure is, I mean, it's a trap that you can get yourself into and it it is psychological and emotional. And I do think that it's almost easier to just ignore it than to, like you were talking about, debrief it and to face it and to collaborate with your team around it. And that one's like, yeah, we may need a whole episode on that one because this was supposed to be rapid fire and we're not very good at rapid fire on anything. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) most of our conversations are long ones. Okay, so I've got two more for you. All right. Let's say a business owner, um, she's listening today and she's frustrated that her team is just not catching her vision. Um, You know, how do we create and clarify a vision for our business, our team, our family? And then how do we lead others to it, to that vision? Okay, I thought this was supposed to be rapid fire. This is this is a very complex question because we're talking about tactics. I have one word for it, but you go ahead. <laughs> uh, I, I would say community, right? And and, okay. it, and it goes back to that. The reason people don't necessarily get the owner, founders, CEO's vision is because it's their vision. It wasn't created as a community. Hmm. And so how the CEO and the leader creates a collaboration and community experience Mm -hmm. to get people to expand on the vision, understand the vision, strengthen the vision will determine their empowerment and ownership of the vision. And so a lot of times you say like, hey, here's the vision. This is where we want to go. If it's not co-created, 
they will never have the intimacy that the CEO or the owner has with that vision because it's something that was just given to them. Yeah. Right? You build something with your grandfather or you go buy it at a store. Right. Which one are you going to cherish the most? Right. right. The one that you handcrafted together. And that same lesson is in leadership. The really good CEO leaders and executives take time to craft a collective vision, or they might have a great structure for a vision, but they lean on others to strengthen it and expand it to where it becomes their own. That's good. My one word was going to be casting. Like, I think you have to continually cast that Mm. vision forward. And whenever you're casting it forward and people see you're going in that direction, then they will follow you. But I totally agree that if you can create it from that community and that collaboration, then they're going to feel like they've got, they're part of it and that they've got skin in the game and they were, you know, part of the vision. But even when you've created that vision, it can become stale really fast if you're not casting it over and over. You will constantly be casting as a leader the vision of the organization, and you have to get really good at it. I'm going to use a funny analogy. I like to go fly casting. I don't call it fly fishing because my cast is so bad, I never catch anything, right? So a leader has to be prolific at casting in order to get the bite, to get somebody to engage, to make that happen, especially if they weren't in the room. And so that is that is definitely a skill that we work on with all of our executives around how do you communicate that vision and strategy in such a way to where it's compelling, to where people will want to give something up to grab onto that vision. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you knew this fact. I'm just going to keep going since we're already over time. But women are better fly fishers than men. I don't know if it's a true proven, but I've been told that a couple of times. And then back to fly fishing, you have to mend that line over and over. It's not just throwing it and expecting you're going to get something in return. You have to mend it and you have to, I mean, whenever it gets further away, you're like, nope, we're coming back. And so there's so much to that. So anyways, that was my knowledge. Uh, around I'm, I'm going to build onto that. Okay. And the mending changes based on the current. And so a leader that thinks that they can just use the same cast over and over and over and mend the same way is not going to have the same success as a leader who's agile and is constantly reading the current and adapting their cast and their mend. And, and that is a, that's a differentiator. So good. All right. Last question. What is the difference between a leader who reacts and a leader who responds? I'm going to take this even to another level because I think as as a CEO and owner of a company, um, you react, you have to react to outside market variables and the things that that you're seeing that the business is going to experience. It's like outside influencers, right? You're the one that's responsible for understanding and reacting to the market dynamics at large. That's your role. Mm -hmm. Um, but you should be responding to the pulse and the heartbeat of the business inside the organization. And so this notion is, is like, if you're reacting all the time inside the business, guess what? Everybody else is reacting and reacting doesn't have a rhythm, right? right? Whereas responding, we use the term, the pulse of the organization that has a rhythm, 
And so I think this notion of like, be reactionary to threats, yeah, uh, but respond to the needs inside the business. So one thing that you came in and helped me with is we were in a critical time in the business and you taught me this idea of real-time strategies because we were like, it was crunch mode, it was wartime, we were like needing to do something then. And we were, we were not able to respond very gracefully and the strategic annual strategic plan we had in place wasn't working. So I felt like that there was a season where we were reacting and you taught us how to build some real-time strategies to react to where the business was performing. But you can't stay there. And I think that sometimes we got in this mode of like staying in that reactionary, you know, rhythm or just reacting and not in a healthy rhythm of responding and creating those strategic plans and giving them enough time and letting them stick and, you know, seeing how effective they were going to be. But that's the one thing that I remember that you really helped me with when it came to reacting versus responding. Yes. I mean, I mean, I think, I think back to being in the room together, right. Yeah. Uh, with the leadership team and, and the intimate conversations we shared about how we want to react. Cause you can react in ways that create better community and create better innovation, or you can react in ways that separate that. And so there are times in the business where you have to be reactionary because there are real threats yeah. uh, and they need to be met with intensity. Uh, how you do that matters. Um, you have to make sure everybody has common common knowledge, common language, and understands the threat uh, in the same way to where then you're all working towards a common solve. And I think that was the thing that your team did really well uh, when, when we came together is, is we came through that lens and, and solved that. Now, what I will say is um, most CEOs and owners that are experiencing success and they experience organic growth mm-hmm. uh, that's just happening, that is the time when you need to invest in strategic growth. Mm. It's not when you're in reactionary mode. Right. So when the business is thriving, you that's when you're just like doubling down, not just in all the real-time initiatives that are generating all this, this great uh, performance, but you're starting to build the long-range contingency plans and the long-range mm-hmm. strategy then. Because when it gets down to it, an organic growth disappears. And then you're left with this notion where you might not necessarily have a long-range strategic growth plan. You automatically have to tilt more towards this real-time. But the ideal is that you're having real-time and longitudinal running simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So good. Oh my gosh, Craig, I could talk to you all afternoon, but thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and letting me be vulnerable with our audience and just some of the things that you helped me with. And hopefully some, I know leaders and entrepreneurs learned a ton today, but thank you not only for sharing, but thank you for having the impact that you've had on my life as a leader, as a mom, as a wife, as a friend. Um, And you've been such a good friend for me. So thank you for joining us today. Well, the gratitude is is mutual, Cindy. Thank you for the awesome dialogue and, and the insightful questions. Great. Oh my goodness, friends. What great words of wisdom. I loved when Craig and I talked about your healthy gut 
oh my goodness, so good. And it's become such a hot topic. But when we talked about it being your leadership health and your healthiness of your leadership gut, so, so good. That wraps up today's show. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode of Permission to Lead. And make sure to take a quick second to leave us a five-star review where you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I don't want you to miss out on my daily tips to help you achieve more and flourish in your business and personal life. So follow me on Instagram at Cindy M. Monroe. That's Cindy M. Monroe. Or click the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Permission to Lead podcast where I teach high-achieving female business leaders and entrepreneurs like you how to achieve more, lead effectively, and flourish in both your business and personal life. I'll see you next week.